We serve a good God. We serve an amazing king. He yes, is good Jesus. Hallelujah. all the time. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 18 and verse 1. When you got it, say so. The word of the Lord says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers, and he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and your love that are amazing toward us. And God, we just humble our hearts before you today, Lord Jesus, and we ask you, Spirit of God, to speak to us, Lord God. We ask you, dear Lord, to give us ears to hear what your Spirit says to your church. We ask you, Lord God, to speak to our lives, Lord God, in the depth of our heart and make us doers of your word, not hearers alone. God, I pray that we would not sit by idly, Lord God, as your word is preached, but Lord God, that we would be active listeners waiting to hear you command us, Lord God, and being willing to respond to you as you call us deeper and further in our commission with you as your gospel representatives, Lord. We thank you so much for this word, and we ask you, Lord, to speak to us today. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so as we continue on in the book of Acts chapter 18, today I want to speak on the topic of gospel assurance, gospel assurance. And there's something that we realize when we look at the Apostle Paul is that he was assured of his call to be a preacher of the gospel. He was assured of his call not only to preach the gospel, not only to be a gospel representative, but he was assured not, not just to do something, but of what the gospel implied for his life. And so today when we talk about gospel, gospel assurance, it's important that we understand that nothing in this life can offer us the assurance that the gospel does. Nothing in this life can offer us the assurance that the, gospel, that the gospel offers us. You may have a great spouse and your spouse can fail you. Are you hearing me? You may have great parents and listen, I had, I had good, you know, my mom was a good mom, but my mom failed me sometimes, amen? And I'm positive that your parents failed you as well. And you may be a great parent and you are going to fail your children, amen? That's just how it is. Nothing in this world. You may have a great job, glory to his name. But something can happen, right? I mean, this, this happened to folks. They thought they had a wonderful job, loved their job. They showed up and the gates was locked on them. Hello. They, 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 they didn't even realize what was going on. They, 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 got a, they, went, you know, they, they worked hard all week long. And at the end of the week, the boss was like coming to the office. They thought they were getting a promotion. They were getting a pink slip. Hello, somebody. I'm just saying, you know, we downsize. And so the point of the matter is, is that nothing gives us the assurance that the gospel does because the gospel never fails. The gospel always does what it says it's going to do. And the gospel is universal truth. What I mean by that is that it works for everyone who responds to its preaching. 
If the gospel is preached correctly, everybody is going to experience the benefits of it. That is the reason why we do not agree with a prosperity gospel. Hello, somebody, because that doesn't work in a third world country. Y'all ain't hearing me. You see, when I preach the gospel, everyone who hears the gospel should be able to respond to it the same way. Everybody should be able to receive the same benefit. And the fact of the matter is, here's reality. Reality is not everybody's going to be rich, but everyone who bows the knee to Jesus can experience eternal life. That's just the truth of the matter. And so what happens is when we preach the gospel, we know that there is an assurance in it. And here's the thing. Our endeavor as children of God, as I speak about gospel assurance, our endeavor should be to be as faithful to the gospel as the gospel is faithful to us. In other words, the same way that the gospel doesn't let us down, we should be faithful to preach the gospel. We should be faithful to believe the gospel. We should be faithful to trust the gospel. This is what should happen. Charles Spurgeon, he was one of the great preachers of the old school days, and as he was raising up ministers, he used to tell them all the time, it is always too soon to quit. It is always too soon to quit. When he was preaching to these preachers and he was raising them up, he was saying, listen, don't ever give up. Whenever you think, see, and, and, and we talk about this often, but many people are like right there on the moment of their breakthrough and they give up. Are you hearing me? Many people are right there where God is about to do something great and glorious in their life, and they walk away and say, man, it's been too tough. You know, I've been pushing, I've been praying, I've been fasting, and you know what? Enough is enough. I'm walking the other way, and and breakthrough is right there. The moment that God was going to release them into what he had for them is right there. And in our lives, as we live out the gospel, as we live out what God has called us to, it becomes the same thing for us, is that we must, we must reserve in our heart that we will not give up, that we will continue to move forward. As I was studying for this message, there was um, one of the examples that was given there, there was these young men in a state where it snows, and what they were doing was they were walking around their neighborhood and they would come up to people that were snowing, that, that were, you know, that were plowing their, their, their driveway with the snow. And, um, and so the one, you know, the one young man, you know, he comes up to the guy, he's like, hey, he said, um, you know, you want us to plow your, you know, your, your snow there? And he was like, man, I'm, I'm halfway done. And he said, yeah, you're the exact person that we'll get paid from because most people give up in the middle. Most people get tired in the middle. It's not the person that, I'm going to go out there and do it. It's the guy that's in the middle who's been doing this all day and is like, man, I got that much more to go. Let me pay somebody to do this. He's like, you're the one that pays me. And it's, listen, I want you to see this. We have got to be assured of the gospel because when we are assured of the gospel, the gospel will drive our lives so that way our lives are gospel-centered and we remain on mission with Jesus. The apostle Paul, when you see him, he wasn't driven by his ego. He wasn't driven by his denominational affiliation. He had none. He wasn't driven by natural rewards, but he was driven by his ever-growing revelation of who Jesus was. He was driven by that. And as as you read him in the book of Philippians, he's like, I just want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. The apostle Paul had one desire and one aim, and that was to know Jesus. And as Jesus continued to reveal himself unto Paul, Paul was driven more, driven more by the gospel. And we as children of God must become the same way that he was devoted to coming to know Jesus so that our lives will be what? Surrounded around Jesus. Jesus. That where our lives will revolve around him. And so we want to grow in our gospel assurance. So the first thing that I want you to say is this with me. Say gospel assurance assurance must be found found in gospel partners. partners. 
Gospel assurance must be found in gospel partners. So the apostle Paul is driven to preach the gospel. The scripture says he leaves from Athens where he was preaching. Y'all remember that? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And he goes, doesn't tell us why he left, but he goes to Corinth, this different city. And when he goes to this city, he, he's there and he, and he finds these people. The person's name is Aquila and Priscilla. He finds these two people. And later in here, you don't necessarily see their devotion to the gospel. Later on, you will as, as we look at how they have conversation with a guy by the name of Apollos. But what happens is the apostle Paul goes to Corinth and when he goes into this city, he finds somebody to be with him to help him on his what? His mission. Now listen, this is important for us because if you and I are going to be people that are going to be gospel-centered, if we're going to be people that are going to be on mission with Jesus, then we need to think about who we're hanging out with. Are you hearing me? We need to think about who we are spending our time with. We need to think about we, we need to think about a lot of stuff, but we need to think about who we are surrounding ourselves with. One of the greatest detriments to young to young Christians that are on fire for Jesus are those old Christians who have given up their zeal and their fire for maturity and wisdom. Y'all ain't hearing me. Listen, what happens is, you know, you get, on, you, you get a young person on fire for Jesus. They start reading their Bible. They think they can do anything in the name of the Lord. Because they can. Amen. Because, and listen, if we put our faith in Jesus, if it's for it, we listen, I want you to get, we cannot do anything we want, but anything he wants, we can do. And if he wrote it in the word, he wants us to do it. Amen. If it's in the scriptures for us, it is for us to do it. It is for us to live it out. And then what happens is we get older. We get more mature. We've been around the block and we have some wisdom. And so we need to like step back. We, we like put the brakes on the zeal. Hello. We put the brakes on the passion. We put the brakes on the faith. And that is the worst thing that could happen to someone. Hello. Listen, I can only speak from personal experience. When I first became a Christian and I was, you know, young, and I was like, running, running, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to write books. I mean, there was all kind of stuff that, you know, I wanted to do. And I remember, you know, a person that was an older, I won't say who it is because, you know, if you know him, I don't ever want you to say anything to him. But the point was, they told, thank God I didn't listen to them. But the point was, they said to me, they say, hey, listen, you don't have to go so fast. And I was like, man, I want to run for Jesus. But what will happen is you get around some folks and then, and it's not, listen, I'm not saying that you don't need to be mature. Say, I need to be mature in Jesus. Mature doesn't mean no zeal. Hello. Are you with me? Because Paul grew maturity and his zeal never left him. Hello. Paul wanted to continue. He continued to run the race. He continued writing letters. He was locked up in prison, preaching to the prison guard. I mean, this guy was doing everything that he could do in order to advance the gospel, advance the kingdom. And so what happens to us is we need to think about who are we connecting ourselves with? Are we connecting ourselves with people that are going to help us walk out the gospel, help us live out the mission of Jesus? Or are we connecting ourselves with people that ain't even on the same road as us? Are we connecting ourselves with people who, you know, kind of walked that path at one point? But see, because what happened, and this is the point that I'm trying to make about growing in maturity and wisdom, is what happens as a Christian, and I remember this personally, when I first became a Christian, I remember I would pray for something, it would happen like this. Case in point, one day, somebody invited us to go to a service, the service was way far, we didn't have a ride to go there, I was like, God, we need a ride. Somebody shuttled with a van within two minutes. Straight up, I was like, glory to God, God is with me. As I continue to grow as a Christian, needs would come up. I would pray. It wouldn't come right away. Wait a second, God. Are you not listening to me? Yeah, I'm listening to you, but I want you to grow in faith. 
I want you, do you trust me just because of me, or do, or do I have to show you every single little thing? You, you got to be like Gideon, you know, make it wet, make it dry, make it wet, make it dry. Yeah, is that, I mean, really? So the point is, y'all don't know that story? Yeah, some of y'all know. Listen, the point of the story was, Gideon was like, God is like, I want you to do something great. Gideon was like, nah, man, I'm the least of my people, and, you know, I'm the least of my father's And you know what? If it's really you, this is what I want you to do. Make the ground wet, make the fleece dry. That's impossible, right? Like, how is it going? The fleece is on the ground, so how are we going to do it? God does it. He gets up. He's like, okay, check it out. If it's really you, make the fleece wet and the ground dry. I'm like, dude, really? He already did the impossible. Got to do it again. The point of the matter is this, is that God wants us to grow in our maturity, grow in our faith. grow. And so the way that that happens is by us exercising our faith. You never exercise your faith if everything is just yes right away. How about this? You don't exercise your faith if every single thing is yes. Sometimes you need to hear no so you can know that God says no also. Hello. Because some people just think God just says yes to everything. That's not true. Let me give you an example. One time a lady pulled up. I used to work at Benny Hinn Ministries doing security. And this woman pulled up. In the, I wasn't there when this happened. I was, when I came to the, um, to, to, to the guard post, they pointed her out to me. But there was a lady. She pulled up in a U-Haul truck. Meaning that she packed up all of her stuff, moved from whatever state she was coming from, came to the front gate. Security officer said, ma'am, how may I help you? She says, the Lord told me Benny Hinn is supposed to be my husband. Did the Lord forget to tell you he already had a wife? I'm just saying. What was the, the did he, he didn't strike his wife dead, okay? The point of the matter is, we just think, well, well you know, I feel that, so that's good. It's not always good. Hello. Anyway, glory to God. So we need to consider who is it that we're connecting ourselves with. Are we connecting ourselves with godly people? Are we connecting ourselves with people who are going to walk with us on this mission? And what Paul does is he connects with these people, Priscilla and Aquila. And you look at verse 5, and then it goes on to say this. It says, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And so what happens is when he first gets there, he gets together with Aquila and Priscilla. He begins to work with them, making tents. And then when Paul and, I mean, when, when Silas and Timothy arrive, Paul is able to leave that work in order to go and devote himself fully to doing what? To preaching the gospel to the city. What I'm pointing out to you is he connected with Aquila and Priscilla. They were part of helping him fulfill gospel mission. When, he, when, when Silas and Timothy come, they help him continue on to further gospel mission. And if you look down, look down at verse 24. I want you to see someone else here. In verse 24, it talks about another man by the name of Apollos. It says, now a certain Jew named Apollos born at Alexandria. He was an eloquent man and mighty in the scripture. He came to Ephesus. So this is a man. Scripture gives a good. He's able to communicate. He is mighty in the scriptures, meaning that he knows the word of God. He knows the Old Testament. He came to Ephesus. And so this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. And so what happens with this guy is that he knows what the scriptures are communicating. He knows what the word of God, but he is limited in his understanding of the gospel. He doesn't fully understand anything. And verse 26 goes on to say this. It says, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla, these are the people that Paul met earlier, heard him, 
They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so he didn't, he had, he had some foundational knowledge. These people had been walking with the apostle Paul. And so they took him to the side. They communicate truth with him. He doesn't go and say, I don't want to hear what you guys have to say. He hears them, embraces what they communicate to him. And then it goes on to say this. It says, and when in verse 27, and when he desired to cross to Achaia, The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And so Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila, who help him further the ministry. And then he is joined by Silas and Timothy. Then Priscilla Priscilla and Aquila meet Apollos, who helps them further the ministry of the gospel. What do they all have in common? All of them were assured of the gospel. All of them had a gospel assurance within their heart. They were all convinced of what the truth of the gospel is. This is the reason why, we, why I want to make sure that I preach the gospel every week. So that way we are fully convinced of our need for the gospel and what the gospel has done for our lives. That way we will make sure that we are on the right path, that we are walking in the right direction, that we are on mission with Jesus, and that we are following him to the fulfillment of his purpose for our lies and when we look at the gospel here they were assured of what when we so when we talk about the gospel they were assured of what they were assured that all men were sinners and had fallen short of the glory of god they were assured that apart from god they could do nothing they they, these were people who knew the scriptures and the scriptures did what they showed the law of god showed that man's heart was wicked and that man was incapable of pleasing god and so they knew this do we know this do we believe this we should we should be assured of this. We should be assured of it. See, people, and, and this is what, this is what um, Apollos and Paul did when they were pointing that Jesus was the Christ. They were saying, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one that you have been waiting for. Because of your sins, he is the one that is fulfilling all righteousness. That's what they were doing. They were making sure that everyone that they came in contact with had a clear understanding of who Jesus was. You and I will never fully know who Jesus is until we know who we are. Hello. Until we understand our sinfulness, we don't understand how great and merciful he is. Until we understand our own inability to save ourselves and deliver ourselves. Until we understand that we can't be that person that says, well, I'll go to church when I get my things right. But we have to come to him and say, God, I will never get it right enough for you to be pleased with it. So I will start with you getting me right the way you want to and doing in me what only you can. When we come to that place, and that not only that, but they didn't only show the sinfulness of man, but they showed the wondrous sacrifice of Jesus. They didn't just show that, that, that man is sinful. They didn't just show that man, because of his sin, is separated from God and will spend eternity separated from him suffering. They didn't just show that, but they showed that Jesus died in their place so that way they could have eternal life. They show that Jesus, and but but see, here's the thing: they were short of that. But not only that, did Jesus die to just save you from sin? But Jesus dies and gives you a new identity. So this is the beauty of this: for us that are children of God, we should know that we're sinful. We should know that we're sinners by nature. We should know that we are wicked in our hearts. But that Jesus has died for us. But not just that; it doesn't just end there. God gives us a new identity in Him. 
And what they continue to do is they continue to enforce that and continue to communicate that. And that's why the Apostle Paul was growing in his devotion to the gospel. Because of what? Because his revelation of what Jesus had done. And when I say what Jesus had done, it wasn't just enough to say Jesus died on the cross. I often say that. We say that way too slow when we talk about what Jesus does on the cross. Because it becomes just like some kind of Christianese or some cliche-ish thing that we say that Jesus died. But there should be some real feeling when we say Jesus died. God came in the flesh in the form of man, lived a righteous life, was perfect, and he died in our place. He died because we could not save ourselves. He does that for us. He suffered at the hands of ungodly people so that way we could have eternal life. But eternal life is not just something that we get when we go to heaven. It is something that we get now when the Spirit of God fills us. It is something that we experience, and so God gives us a new heart. And because of what Jesus has done, we recognize every day that even when I fall short, Jesus still is glorified because he says, I don't fall short. I don't fall short. It doesn't give me a crutch to continue falling short. It calls me higher. Hello. It calls me higher in relationship and devotion to him. But that is what, he, that, that is what all of these people had in common. They were assured. When, when Apollos is preaching in the beginning, it says that he only knew about the baptism of John. What was he doing? He was simply saying, we're sinners. We need repentance. A, 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 a Priscilla and Aquila come, and they say, they're sinners that need repentance, but they also need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and not just filled with the Holy Spirit, but recognize a new identity in Jesus. That's what they're doing here giving them the assurance of the gospel. And so we must consider who is it that we are connecting ourselves with. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say gospel assurance assurance. sees opposition opposition. as an opportunity. opportunity. Look at verse 6 with me to verse 6 to verse 8. It says, but when they opposed him, they were opposing Paul as he was communicating that Jesus is the Christ. And blaspheme, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. And so the first thing we recognize is what we see in every place that Paul goes to preach, and I say this all the time, something that we need to realize is that when we preach the gospel, there will be people who will reject the gospel. Listen, some of you in here reject the gospel every time I say it. Hello. Not just when I say it. Anytime anyone preaches it, you think you're okay without Jesus. Listen, I'm here to let you know one more time you're not. Hello. I'm just saying The the bottom line is people are going to reject the gospel. That's what's going to happen. But there is also people who are going to accept the gospel, people who are going to receive the gospel. And so what happens is you'll notice something different occurs here. Because normally when people start rejecting the gospel, Paul walks away and he leaves, but he usually leaves the city. In this particular portion of scripture, he doesn't leave the city. He says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and shake off my garments. In other words, he was washing his hands. He was saying, I am clean. I've done my part. You guys are rejecting this. This is the blood. Your blood is upon your own heads. What he was declaring to them is that judgment was upon you because what? Because you've rejected the gospel. I've been clear in communicating it to being being able to clearly communicate it to you. And here's what I want you to get out of this. While we should never give up praying for the salvation of the lost, sometimes we need to stop preaching to them. 
I, don't, I, I know that's not real popular, but here's the truth, because I know that most of us, I know me personally, I would like to shove the gospel down the people's throats that I love. That sounds so bad, but really, in love, I would really like to like really get it down in their heart. Like, kinda... But the truth of the matter is, there comes a point where we have to say, you know what, have I shared the gospel clearly? Have I made the presentation clear to them? Have I made it clear? Have, have, is, is, there, is, there any, is there any question? You see, because if there's no question in my mind, then I don't need to continue to communicate it because it has already been communicated to them. Why? Because I said so, no, because the Apostle Paul gives us the example. He preached to them, and when they rejected, see, here's the thing. If someone is willing to listen to you respectfully and honorably, keep preaching to them. But when you preach the gospel clearly and they're rejecting you and they're cursing at you and they're, you know what? You don't need to continue to do that. You don't need to continue. That's what, that's what happened here. They started to blaspheme. In other words, they were cursing. They were saying, man, we don't need this. This is, this is garbage. This is not true. When people start doing that, you don't need to sit there and argue with them. You need to say, you know what? I've presented the gospel. And, and listen, if you want to go through the whole motion that Paul did, feel free. You'll be biblical. Amen. They won't understand it. They will think you're crazy. But the point of the matter is, hey, it's, it's, it's biblical. You know, Jesus said, wipe the dust off your feet. So do it. That's what the Bible says. But here's the point. The point is you make sure that you don't just forget about them because you continue to love them. See, that's our issue is that now what happens is I'm not preaching to you, so I'm not talking to you either. Hold on a second. Can you have a conversation with someone? I'm not preaching to you. You don't want to know about my Jesus? I can't stand you. I think I told you guys about, I think I told you guys about the guy that I, was, that I was ministering to at the, at the gym. And when he tell, you know, I asked him, I said, well, where do you stand with Jesus? And he's like, I'm not a believer. I don't, you know, I don't believe in Jesus. And I was like, okay. And then he's, a couple of moments later, he was like, you know, I know that you might hate me because of this. And I'm like, why would I hate you? I, you know, you're the one in, ju- in danger of judgment, not me. I, I, I mean, I feel bad for you. I don't hate you. But you know why people say that? Because that's how Christians do it. You know, I love what Pastor Chad said, you know, months ago, a year ago, something like that. People don't want to be our projects. Hello. People sense that, right? They, and, and, and especially, especially after their project doesn't go the way they want it to, and they don't mess with it no more. Like, you were calling them all the time, wanting to hang out all the time, inviting them over all the time, and when they rejected Jesus, you know, you finally, you know, finagled yourself into that conversation, had the conversation, they rejected it, you're done with them, they're like, wow, man, that was real love. That's called real hypocrisy. And so what happens to us is that we recognize I've shared the gospel clearly. Now what is my job? My job is to pray. My job is to love. My job is to be an example. And my job is to make sure that I am ready in season and out of season. See, love doesn't mean that I sit there and laugh at their sin. Hello. Love doesn't sit there and mean that I condone their sin either. That's not love, y'all, because I want you to understand something. When you talk about God being a God of love, the God of love put his son on the cross because of sin. So he doesn't just sit there and just, you know, play patty cake with you while you're in sin. That isn't what he does. He convicts your heart. (laughs) He convicts your heart of your sin. He shows you. And it doesn't mean you got to be sitting there jamming them up every single time they do wrong. Because, listen, hear what I'm going to say. You cannot clean a fish before you catch it. And so you can't expect a sinner to be holy. They're not going to be holy. But it does not mean that you forget about the standard because the fact is they will never turn from sin if they think that they're okay. So you need to find some wisdom. That's where the real wisdom of God comes in, where you're able to love them and you're able to present the gospel in a manner that brings change and transformation to their lives. 
So you don't got to shove it down their throat. You need to love them through it. And so what the Apostle Paul does here is he remains faithful in this city. He doesn't give up. And in verse 8, it tells us what? It tells us then Crispus. Now, this is amazing. It shows us this to encourage us. The ruler of the synagogue. This wasn't some like, you know, just a new, new, new guy that just started to come. This was the leader. I'll put it to you like this. It would be like myself or one of the pastors in here turning away from Jesus. That was it. That, that's what this was the equivalent of. Okay? The main leader, the ruler of the synagogue, this guy has to know the scriptures. This guy has to, you know, have a good testimony. This guy converted to Jesus. Because the apostle Paul remained faithful to preach. Not just him, his whole family. Not just his whole family. The scripture says that many in Corinth began to what? Turn from their sin unto Jesus. Because of what? Because he saw opposition as an opportunity. Because, and and listen, this is not about positive thinking. This is simply saying, because you know what we do a lot? What we do is when things get difficult and things get hard, we automatically think, well, that must be a sign I need to go in the other direction. Listen, stop being so superstitious. Hear me when I say that. Because for some of us Christians, everything is a sign. Are you hearing me? Y'all ain't saying nothing. Everything is a sign. Oh, that's a sign. That's a sign. Really? I'm just saying. I mean, everything is a sign. Oh, well, I guess that was God. Really? You guess that was God? You guess? Listen, you you and I don't have to guess when it's God. Y'all ain't saying nothing. When it is God, it is clear. Hello. When God is trying to get your attention. Now, look, I know, you know, some things. Here's the point. The point is. When it's God, you don't have to guess. Oh, I guess, I think, man. Listen, you'll be sure that that was God trying to get your attention. I'm just saying, if we read up, I mean, listen, I, I, I gave you all the example of Gideon. It wasn't that Gideon wasn't sure that was God. Gideon was, was just not sure if God, like, really wanted him to do it. He was like, he, man, me? He was questioning himself. It was an issue with him. Are you hearing me? His issue was him. He's like, I'm not, nah, you know, may, maybe that was a mistake. But it wasn't a question, was that God? Hello? He's like, okay, do it again, because I know you're God, and really, if, if I'm really the one, then do it again. The point is, when God is communicating to us, giving us signs, he makes it clear for us. He's not the author of confusion, amen? But for some of us as Christians, like, everything is a sign. Like, the started raining, it was a sign I wasn't supposed to go outside. The lights flickered, that means I, sh- I don't know what that means. I should go to sleep? I don't know. The point... <laughs> I'm just, I mean, if, can we just be real for a moment? I mean, really, some, some, some of y'all need to repent of your superstition. Seriously. Because you, 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 you depend more on your signs than you depend on the Bible. You depend more on your feelings and your emotions than the Word of God and the Scriptures. Hello? And so it becomes so very important for us that we don't look at difficulty. Oh, difficulty means stop. Not always. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I know a little bit, just a little bit about working out, just a little bit. And what I know is this, is that when you start to feel it, that's when you're actually doing something. You know what most people do? They quit when they start to feel it. I'm just saying. They're like, okay, I feel, I'm done. And they don't see results and they wonder why. But anybody who knows it, and the people who know a lot about working out, they're going to tell you that you got to do something that's called going to failure, meaning it has to hurt, it has to burn, it has to be painful. Hello. That means you're making progress. Y'all know the saying, no pain. I'm just saying. So the the thing is, in some situations, now let's be real. Some situations, hardship means stop. 
Some situations, hardship is because of sin, and God is saying, repent. So if you're in sin, experiencing hardship, don't apply what I just said. Repent. Stop your sin. But when you are following Jesus, and you're seeking him, and you're going after him, it does, hardship doesn't mean stop. I'm going to use Michelle for an example. When Michelle Bennett first moved here from California, it took her a long time, a long time, glory to God, to get a job, right? I mean, she was like, Lord, I know she had thoughts in her mind, and she was like, Lord, do you want me to go back to California, <laughs> glory to God? I mean, just, you know, it was, it was tough. It was a tough situation. And you know what she did? i never forget it because we went into a time of fasting, I believe it was last year, in the beginning of the year, or the, was it last year or the year before? I don't remember. It was last year. Last year, we were in the beginning of the year, we did a 21-day fast. And so as we were in that, that time of fasting, we were done. I'll never forget, she told me, she said, Bishop, I'm not done with my consecration until God does what he's going to do. And it was out of that that God did what? That God broke her through, opened up the, jo- the door for her to be employed. But you know how many times she could have quit and said, I'm done. You know how hard it could have been? And she could have said, I'm finished. I'm, I'm not going to continue to press on. Here's the, here's the heart. The heart is that we need to know this is what gospel assurance is about. It's that I know that I'm walking with him. I know that I'm walking in his will. I know that I'm following his lead. And even though situations become difficult, that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to quit. Many times I need to see those oppositions as an opportunity for me to bring glory and honor to Jesus. So we need to repent of our superstition, and we need to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit and be assured of what the gospel communicates to our lives so we can fulfill God's purposes. Amen? Amen. Third thing, repeat this after me. Say, gospel assurance assurance is established established and affirmed affirmed by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Let's read from verse 9 to verse 17. It says, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, the Gallio said to them, said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names in your own law, look look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the, all, all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. And so what we see here is that Paul is in this city, he is experiencing some opposition, he is experiencing some hardship, and God does something that is amazing in in, in verse 9. It says that the Lord speaks to him in a vision. And so what what Paul does is he, he has this assurance of the gospel. He is preaching the gospel. But here is what happens to all of us. No matter how sure we are of the gospel, no matter how sure we are of the promises of God, 
No matter how sure we are of God's will, sometimes when we get into difficult scenarios, when we get into hard situations, we end up having a fear that will grip our hearts. And last week, Pastor Aldo did a great job in speaking about fear, so I won't re-preach his message. But here's the thing. Fear is something that cripples us and hinders us. And the Bible says that, in, and I think this was a scripture that he used, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so the reality is, is that the reason why why Paul was telling Timothy that in 2 Timothy and he was communicating this to him was because Timothy was being cowardly and not preaching the gospel. He was allowing the influences of the culture. He was allowing the things that were going on around him to try to make him silence his voice and preaching. And Paul was saying, listen, God has not given you that spirit of fear, but he's given you a spirit of power. He's given you dunamis power. He's given you the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's given you the power of God. He's not just giving you the power of God, but he's given you love, the agape love. He's poured that love into your heart, into your life, and he's let you know a love that is liberating and that is free, and a love that never gives up, and so he fills you with power, and then he also gives you a love that enables you not only to sense his love, but to have love for others, and so what motivates me to preach and live out the gospel is, number one, I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. Number two, I am filled with the agape love of God, and then number three, I have this self-control. I have this ability to recognize I'm not going to give in to my fear. I'm not going to give in to my doubts, but I am going to follow my leader, which is God Almighty. And so what he does is he communicates this. And God is saying, listen, Paul is like, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and preach. I'm not leaving this city because you're not leading me to leave. I'm not leaving the city. I'm going to be preaching. And then what God does is so gloriously and mercifully, he reveals himself to him. And here's the thing. You and I may never hear the audible voice of God. Are you hearing me? We may never hear, amen. We may never hear the audible voice of God. You may never hear that. Maybe you will. I can tell you in my own life, it has been far in between that I've heard that. And anything that God has ever said has never led me away from him, period. It has never contradicted his word. And the only times that has been, it's been about me following him. And following his direction. And so here's the thing. You don't need to hear God's audible voice. You have God's inspired word. Are y'all ain't hearing me? You have his inspired word. His divinely breathed message for you. And then the beauty of it is you have a relationship with the spirit of God. And what happens is he may not speak to you audibly, but he will impress things upon your heart. He will lead you by his spirit. As Pastor Robert was praying this morning, God doesn't want to just speak to our flesh. In other words, God doesn't just want to speak to our fleshly situation. He doesn't just want to deal with what we're going through now. He wants to speak to to our soul, to our inner man, to our spirit. He wants to give us a word to stand on. And what he does here is he gives him a word on top of a word, glory to God. He gives him the gospel, which is the word of God that is pure and undefiled. And then he gives him a word of encouragement and says, son, keep moving forward. I hope you hear the spirit of God speaking to you today. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward in your gospel pursuit, in your pursuit of who Jesus is. Keep moving forward in your desire to bring glory and honor to his name. Keep mo- Listen, you should have assurance of the gospel. And if you're doubting the gospel, if you're going through whatever you may be going through, if you will just pursue him, don't allow fear to cripple you. Don't allow doubt to hinder you. Don't allow the lies of the enemy to distract you. But recognize that God is saying, my daughter, my son, follow me and 
and follow me faithfully. That's what he communicates to us. He wants us to have this gospel assurance and knowing that God is with us and God is leading us. As I said, no matter how great our assurance is of the gospel and our devotion is, fear will often and more times than we would like to admit grip our hearts. And the Holy Spirit who established this assurance in our hearts, it's a spirit of God that enables us to believe the gospel in the first place. It is him who allows us. It's him who opens our hearts. It's him who opens our minds. It's him who softens our hearts. He doesn't just give us that assurance initially. He continues to affirm that. We should never assume or conclude anything based on exterior circumstances. When God gives us his word upon his word like he does here, he has a purpose. And if we will just trust him, we will see his will accomplished. Amen? If we will just trust him, we will see his will accomplished. Notice what happens here. The apostle Paul gets rejected. He, you know, cleans his garments, says, I'm no longer going to preach to you guys. I'm going to preach to the Gentiles. He starts preaching to the Gentiles. People start rising up. They don't want to hear this message being preached from the Jewish people. The scripture says that God speaks to him. I love this. I love the way that the scriptures show this because this is exactly how stuff will happen to our lives. Like you're sitting in here today and many of you, God is speaking to you about stuff. God is speaking to you, trying to encourage you, trying to keep you moving forward in your pursuit of his will and your pursuit of his purpose. He's speaking to you, right? You're here. He's speaking to you and you know that he's calling you. He may be calling you repent of some things. I mean, we were talking, you know, I laughed about the superstition stuff, but really, I mean, some of you, God is calling you repent of that and trust him with your life instead of depending on other things. But here's the, here's what happens in this scripture. God speaks to Paul and you know, what's the next thing that happened? The guy gets brought for judgment. Now think about that. God speaks to him, says, don't be afraid. I'm not going to let anyone hurt you. Nothing is going to go wrong. The next, the, the next thing that happens to his life, they bring him before the judgment seat so they can bring judgment to him. So when God is promising to bless and keep him, what is the enemy doing? The enemy is saying, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to bring harm to you. So notice the contradicting messages. So which message are you listening to? See, because the enemy is real good about putting those signs in front of us. Oh, that was a big sign. Like, yeah, really, God, you really meant that, but these people are now. You said you had my back. You said you, weren't, you, said you had plenty of people in this city, but I'm not seeing any of those people. All I'm seeing are the ones that just dragged me for the judgment seat. And now I'm staring in the face of a judge. And the beauty of this story is that the Bible doesn't even allow Paul. God doesn't even allow Paul to open his mouth to defend himself. The judge is the one that actually defends him. And says, listen, if this is some argument about your law, y'all deal with that. Here's the thing. The thing is, which voice are we listening to? Are we listening to the assurance that is there in the gospel? Are we listening to the assurance that is in the voice of God? Or are we listening to the lies of the enemy to try to distract us and deter us from God's will? My closing question for you is this. Has your assurance of the gospel created a trust in the will of God? Has your assurance of the gospel created a trust in the will of God? When we continue to read here and you see the Apostle Paul in verse 18, it says this. It says, so Paul still remained a good while there. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sincrea for he had taken a vow and he, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So this is the first time the Apostle Paul is there in, in, in the city of Ephesus. When they asked him to stay longer, a longer time with them, he did not consent, he, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep the coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. 
And so the scripture shows us here something about the apostle Paul, and this is why I close with this question. As Paul goes into the city of Ephesus, he's now preaching the gospel, he's by himself, people want to hear more. And he doesn't take it upon himself. He had, he had a reason why he had to be back in Jerusalem. He knew what God's will was. He knew why God had him going in the direction that he was going. But in the, on the way there, he had a moment where he paused. And when he paused, what does he do? He preaches the gospel. And I, I posted this on Facebook or on Twitter. I said, as I read through the, gospel, as I read through the book of Acts, I'm assured of one thing. The apostle Paul was not trying to plant churches. He was simply trying to preach the gospel. His goal was not to try to build a church in every city that he went to. That wasn't his goal. He, that, that wasn't why he was going there. He went there to preach the gospel. The church was in the mind and the heart of God always. But his heart, his goal, his focus was to preach the gospel of Jesus, to share the word of truth with everyone. And so we as people need to worry about that, about one thing. We, we can't worry about who is going to get saved. We need to worry about preaching the message that saves. That's what we need to do. We can't worry about the results. God is in charge of the results. We are responsible to make sure we are faithful with the message. And what Paul does is he says, you know what? I have somewhere where I have to be, but I trust the will of God. I trust God's will for me, and I trust God's will for you. And the question is this, where do we get this assurance from? It's based in the scriptures. When we trust the gospel, we will trust God's will for our life. So my question is this, do you trust his will for your life? Do you trust his direction? Let me make it plain like this. When God tells you no, are you okay with no? When God says, I don't want that relationship for you, are you okay with that? When God says, I don't want you to take that position, are you okay with that? Even though you wanted that position and you're working toward that position and that's everything you wanted, are you okay with that? When God says, I don't want that for you, when God says, I want this for you, that seems much more difficult, much more apart from what you wanted. Are you okay with those things? Because here, the reason why I ask you these questions is because if you say yes, then you know what? Then the gospel is working in your heart and praise the name of Jesus. You should be praying for all of those that are saying no. Because there are, I guarantee there are people in here that you don't, you, you, you have struggle trusting God. And you know what God wants you to do? The same thing he wants all of us to do. He wants every one of us to know what the gospel says and realize if the gospel doesn't fail, it is only because our God cannot fail. In any area of our life, God does not just save us from our sin to go to heaven. He doesn't just save us from our sin so that way we can be in relationship with one another. He saves us from our sin so we can walk in a life that is aligned with his will. So do you trust his will today? I ask you to stand to your feet and bow your heads with me, please. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let me pray with you today. Holy Spirit, I just come before you right now. I pray for my brothers and my sisters that are in this place, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you for those that are being changed by the gospel daily, Lord God. I thank you for those that are seeking you with all of their heart, with all of their soul, God, that are pursuing you and that are trusting your will, Lord. But I just pray that you would continue to strengthen their hearts, my God, that you would continue to strengthen their faith in you. 
that you would continue to strengthen their devotion to you, Lord God, and that their life would be living out of the assurance of the gospel, Lord God, that the same way that we see in the book of Acts, my Lord, where these apostles and these preachers, Lord God, were living out the gospel that so we would. Father, I pray not only for them, Lord Jesus, but I pray for those in this place that, Lord, are not assured of your gospel, Lord God, that are not sure of what you have declared, Lord Jesus, that don't know you, Heavenly Father, that do not walk with you. God, I pray for them today, Lord God, that you would draw their hearts unto you, Lord God. Lord, that you would fill their hearts with an understanding of your love for them, my God. That they would understand that while they have been separated from you because of their sin, Lord God, you love them, my Lord Jesus. You died in their place to save them from sin, Lord God. To set them free and to bring them into a right relationship with you. God, to heal every wound and every broken area of their hearts. I pray, Lord God, that they would not just understand that and recognize it, but God, that they would respond to it with repentance and faith in you, my God. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, for each and every person in this place, God, may we walk in the assurance of the gospel and the assurance of your will. And I pray, lastly, Lord God, for those in this place, Lord God, that are seeking your wisdom, that are seeking your direction and your guidance, Lord, may you make your path clear before them, my God. Father, I I ask you, Lord God, to liberate us, Lord God, from any mindsets, my God, any superstitious mindsets. You've not called us to be a people who live by superstition, but a people who live by faith.